electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. On today's episode, new inflation data. The Labor Department's released the latest producer price index. It's coming in hot. What it means for U.S. prices and for the U.S. Central Bank. And speaking of U.S. costs, the national deficit is expected to increase by $19 trillion in the next decade, just in time to heat up the debt ceiling battle in Congress. Congressional Budget Office Director Philip Swagel. I have faith in our country, in our political system, uh, in, in the leadership. Even with all the division and, you know, kind of all the, the back and forth, um, I, I do have faith. Plus, Berkshire Hathaway Vice Chairman, 99 years young. Charlie Munger is more colorful than ever. Sometimes I call it crypto crapo and sometimes I call it crypto sh- And it's just ridiculous that anybody would buy this stuff. Those conversations and much more like chatbots and a mass exodus of Chinese billionaires. CNBC's Robert Frank. This is a wealth migration that has big ripple effects around the world. It's Thursday, February 16th, 2023, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, goodbye in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is out today. First up on today's podcast, another inflation metric. The producer price index came in hot today. It's a measure of what raw goods cost on the open market. And for January, that metric rose seven-tenths of a percent. It's the biggest increase since June. Headline number expected to be up four-tenths of one percent is coming in hot, up seven-tenths. That was our own Rick Santelli with the expected number versus the actual number. On a 12-month basis, PPI rose 6%, which is elevated, but it's certainly off from its March 2022 high of over 11%. This data comes right after the Consumer Price Index, another inflation metric, came out earlier this week also hotter than expected. So if inflation data is still elevated, what does that mean for the Fed's fight against it? Here's Becky, Joe, and our economics reporter, Steve Leisman, with more. Steve Leisman has some comments from a Fed official. Thanks very much, Becky. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester speaking to the Global Independence Center, saying, picking up on a Super Bowl metaphor, talking about the fight against inflation, says, we are in it to win it. Uh, And we have more work to do. We will need to bring the funds rate above 5%, hold it there for some time. And revealing that she supported, actually, a 50 basis point rate hike uh, at the last meeting, of course, when they raised by a quarter. She says it's too soon to to say that inflation is on a sustained path to 2%. Uh, and that uh, strong wage growth shows labor demand uh, is has been uh, uh, outpacing labor supply. I'll leave it there, guys. Just more hawkish comments from uh, another Fed official who's underscoring this idea that Fed may ge- be higher for longer. Joe? Yeah. Um, we're down another. We ticked down a little bit more. We were down 80 or 90, and it almost looked like we said, is, is uh, someone anticipating or worried? 
They were right to be worried. So then we were down 80 or 90. Now we're down two. Then we were down 200. And then Mester Mester yeah. saying she she was in the 50 basis point camp. I I don't know. Are you still there, Steve? Is 50 off the table next time? Or yeah, is I'm it back here. on? Is it up back on the table? Let me let me let me answer that qualitatively and quantitatively, Joe. I can tell you what the probabilities are right now. Um, for May, you have only a, a for March a seven percent probability of a 50 mm. and. Uh, uh, yeah, so not not much right now, just seven percent. It's kind of off the table, but I wouldn't rule it out if things start to really go uh, north when it comes to inflation and I guess the economy. When, um, I when wouldn't is that? rule it out. I think the Fed really really wants when to do twenty five series. When is that? Uh, that Mar- meeting is March twenty second, Joe, and then early May, uh, May third, and then June fourteenth. So um, uh, three meetings uh, coming up before you get to take a summer break here. I think the Fed really wants to do 25s. I think they prefer that right now to kind of feel their way, but they will do 50. And I think what's happened, Joe, is an understanding by the market that the Fed is serious about this inflation fight and kind of singular and monolithic about it. It's just it's not April 1st, is it? This news, when I saw is it, it April I thought, 1st? wow. Is it no, April 1st? Wow. Huh? Go, go Austin. The White House is, I love that, that I asked if it was April 1st. <laughs> this is true. We're not yanking your chain. The White House is actually considering uh, nominating Austin Goolsbee. Just kidding. Um, that's fine. To uh, replace Leo uh, Brainerd as a Fed vice chair. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. Brainerd is leaving the Fed uh, to lead President Biden's economic team. Goolsbee just became president of the Chicago Fed last month. Previously, he must be really uh, impressing people. Previously served as the top economic advisor to President uh, Obama. Other candidates include Harvard economist uh, Karen Dynan. Northwestern University finance uh, professor Janice Eberly, Fed Governor Lisa Cook, and Boston Fed President uh, Susan Collins, no relation. Um, <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, that's yeah. great. We haven't heard from him much. Are he hasn't surprised? really yet. Yeah, I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised. You know, if I got a, a, some type of hard for me to imagine getting anything above what I'm doing right now. But if I were to get some type of promotion, I wouldn't leave my friends behind just because, I mean. You write me every day? He hasn't said a thing. Do you think that all the doors at the Chicago Fed, have they been enlarged, do you think, the doorways? For his head to fit through these? No, I think he's busy trying to get up to speed, ready for a new job. Maybe if you keep talking, you can... Maybe, yeah. Tweak him into responding in, into to Into a tweet. He's nasty on Twitter. He, maybe he's fun. He's trying to be funny, but sometimes he's, you know, I've gotten... Sometimes he, he hurts you, he wounds you. Sometimes he does, but you only <laughs> hurt the ones you love. <laughs> there you go. We've been talking about the strong jobs market or the, how people are feeling about things. We've had a lot of layoffs that we've talked about, but Fidelity is actually in a hiring binge at this point. The company is looking to fill about 4,000 new roles by mid-year. The new positions focus on customer service and technology. Those job ads come as rival firms have been cutting jobs. But are they, they're different. It, like it's different than a Goldman or something like that. But it is interesting, it, the financial stock yeah. adding instead of subtracting. The founder of Wall Street Bets, which helped inspire the meme stock frenzy of 2020 and 2021, is suing Reddit. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, according to the filing, uh, Jamie uh, Rogozinski, is accusing the platform of wrongly banning him from moderating the community, yeah, good job, uh, and undermining that very moderate community they have there, and undermining his trademark rights. He says he was removed as the moderator of the subreddit, and Reddit claims that he violated rules uh, by attempting to monetize 
uh, a community. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like he was trying to make money off of it. Right. And I'm not going to express any type of schadenfreude or epicaricacy about this story, although I'm feeling it. You're radiating it. <laughs> I am. They, they, they deserve each other, all those people. You're afraid to say anything. You don't want I am. To. <laughs> Go after him. It's at Joe Squawk. I know. That's where the C and cesspool comes from for, for Twitter. Oh. The, what happens? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, it's the mob it's mentality. Lo- it's, it's mob mentality. It, Which is the same lies. thing that happened with Reddit yeah. and right. Wall Street Bets and right. some of these exactly. things, too. And mm. now you're dragging me into your, into <laughs> I, your I bullseye with you. Google CEO Sundar Pichai urged employees to take a few hours during the week to test the company's AI chat tool. In a company-wide email that was viewed by CNBC, Pichai asked workers to spend two to four hours of their time on the new chat tool, Bard. I don't know. Yeah, spend two to four hours of your time, maybe. He reminded staffers that Google has not always been first to release a product, but that hasn't hampered its ability to win. But obviously, the stakes are up. People are feeling the pressure. And uh, Meta shares were feeling the pressure last week, too, after that uh, problem that they had when they were showing off their product um, to investors and to people everywhere. The easing of COVID restrictions in China is allowing residents to travel once again abroad. And that includes some of China's wealthiest cities. Citizens who are also taking their fortunes with them overseas. Robert Frank joins us now with just how much wealth is migrating out of China. Hey, Robert. Good morning, Joe. This is a big and very sudden increase in Chinese wealth flight. The number of Chinese millionaires asking about or applying for investment migration spiked by 600% just in the three weeks after China lifted those lockdowns. That's according to the advisory firm Henley and Partners. Last year, nearly 11,000 Chinese millionaires left the country. This year, that number is expected to be even higher. The capital flight could be even larger. The Chinese wealthy expected to move more than $150 billion out of the country just this year. There are growing concerns about the Chinese economy and the government. Those are the main reasons. President Xi's crackdown on tech and real estate and that common prosperity campaign against big wealth, also creating new threats. Their favorite destination for where the wealthy are moving to, that's mainly in Europe, so Portugal and Greece topping the list there, as well as Australia and Singapore. The U.S. not quite as popular, but still seeing a big rise in applicants. All that capital from China expected to boost the real estate markets, the local economy, and the investment markets in all these destination countries. So, Joe, this is a wealth migration that has big ripple effects around the world. Yeah, let's see that. Not Italy. That makes no sense to me. I'd make a beeline to the Amalfi Great Coast. Great food, beautiful climate, but they don't have the golden visa program that, let's say, Greece or Portugal has, where you there can you buy go. you know, $500,000 condo okay. on, in the Algarve that's the only, and get well, your five-year yeah, residency. Right. Well, that's the only thing stopping it, because it's incomparable, I think. You've been watching White Lotus, too? I mean, did you see that place, huh? Believe that both seasons, but second one, the second one in Italy was better than the first. The place they went certainly was, although I love Hawaii. Anyway, um, yeah, it was nice. The worst island in Hawaii is better than anywhere else in the world. Thanks, Robert. Cheese will be next.
Next on Squawk Pod, the U.S. is on track to add almost $19 trillion to its national debt in the next decade. We're talking to the director of the Congressional Budget Office, Philip Swagel, who knows this data could heat up the debt ceiling battle in Congress. The key to thinking about our budget projections is that they're based on current law. So we're not making assumptions about what the future Congresses will do. More fiscal action in either direction would mean a higher deficit. That's right after this break. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back at the Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick. Uh, Andrew is out today. The Treasury will exhaust emergency measures to prevent a debt default as early as July unless Congress raises the debt limit. That's the new word from the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office. The CBO says uh, it will know more after tax revenues come in in April, including whether the July data could slide even earlier. In addition, the CBO raised its projection for the annual federal budget deficit over the next def- de- decade uh, to close to $19 trillion. Joining us now is Phil Swagel, director of the Congressional Budget Office. Phil, I got to over. We did $8 trillion since 2020. Why would we only do 19 over the next 10 years? You're a, a real optimist. Uh, you know, um, the, the key to thinking about our budget projections, they're, they're based on current law. So we're not making assumptions about what the future Congresses will do, whether more spending or tax relief. And as you said, more you know, fiscal action in either direction would mean higher deficits in the future. It's hard for laymen to understand, A, uh, what the extraordinary things we're doing right now to pay our bills are, and B, what goes into being able to exactly calculate when we won't be able to use those extraordinary measures. It has to do with tax revenue. What else, what else goes into the mix? And I thought it was June. By saying July, you've given these guys even more time to argue. Uh, okay. I mean, so the Treasury has said they're highly confident or something like that until June, and then after that they can't be highly confident. We have the, the range that you said, you know, uh, from you know, July on. Um, and it's you know, we go into the details of the federal budget, right? The, the outlays by federal, you know, by budget line, by the timing of those outlays. And then we have a projection of revenues. That is the key uncertainty is revenues, right? The, the IRS is going to start opening envelopes, you know, when the, the bulk of them come in mid-April through early May. And we need to see the strength of those revenues to try to, you know, narrow down that window. Phil, I know you're nonpartisan, but uh, when you hear Uh, The president say under no circumstances will there be any negotiations whatsoever. And then you hear Speaker McCarthy uh, say, well, 
you know, we, we aren't going to just give a blank check time and time again uh, to, to the federal government. Do, do you see how the, the two finally uh, come to some agreement? Do, do you think that, that people that want to be more fiscally responsible should use this at least to, to get the discussion started about, about where $31 trillion is going to take us? in terms of interest expense and everything else? Yeah, so as you said, we're, we're nonpartisan. Um, so I, I don't give policy recommendations. I can tell you there is a lot of focus on this. I think there's broad understanding in Congress, you know, both chambers, both sides, of the fiscal challenge we face. And as you said, there's, of course, disagreement on how to address it and when to address it. But that, I think that's the good news, is that pe people really are focused and understand that this is a challenge. And, you know, we've seen it again and again. Um, it, when they say that, the other thing that the, the, the Republicans say is we're not going to default. They, they say that. Should we believe them that, that they can wrangle some of the, the more, um, I don't know, some of the, the, the more hawkish members of the caucus? We'll, we'll, eventually we're going to be okay, do you, do you think, Phil? Uh, you know, I, I have faith in our country, in our political system, uh, in, in the leadership. You know, even with all the division and, you know, kind of all the, the back and forth, um, I, I do have faith. So yep. um, I, I can't tell you how we're going to get there, but, you know, to address the fiscal challenge, both the near-term one of the debt, you know, the, the debt ceiling and the longer-term one of the adjustment. But, uh, you know, look, I have faith in, in our country and our ability to, to uh, deal with it. People will even uh, disagree when we call Medicare or Social Security entitlements. They don't like that. But when you look at just interest expense and Medicare and Social Security, we know what we're up against. Uh, so that leaves us very little wiggle room on, on how to handle these things. Both, yeah. sides have, both sides have taken called entitlements off, off the table. If, if we don't do anything and you do some of your projections for the next 10 years, it, it, isn't some type of action being called for right now something that, that we so, need to do or yeah. else it, it's going to be even a worse problem? Yeah, and you've put your finger on what I would say are the two key challenges facing us within the budget window, so inside 10 years. So one is rising interest payments that are going up sharply, both as a percent of GDP and in dollars, and that crowds out everything else, right? If, if policymakers want you know, more tax relief or more spending, whatever they want, those interest payments will crowd that out. So then the second challenge is that Social Security, that we have the trust fund now exhausted within the 10-year window. So if nothing is done on Social Security, if nothing is done on entitlements, every beneficiary will see a reduction in their benefits of more than 20% from what's promised. So doing nothing does right. not save Social Security. It does right. the opposite. Right. So it's going to cut itself. There, if there are no, you know, it, it's like uh, almost a catch-22. It's going to end up cutting itself if we don't address it in some way. But the politicians talk past each other and demagogue and point and say, you want to do this and you want to do that. And we get absolutely nowhere. So you need to be more partisan, Phil. I think you need to help us and, and, and stop being so objective. No, that was good. Phil, we got to run. Uh, thank you. Last but certainly not least on today's Squawk Pod, it's Charlie Munger, Berkshire Hathaway Vice Chairman, Warren Buffett's partner and best friend. Munger shares his take on crypto, Elon Musk, and his bet on an EV you've probably never heard of. BYD is so much ahead of Tesla in China, it's like, a, it's just, it's almost ridiculous. We'll be right back. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC today with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Here's Becky. Charlie Munger, Berkshire Hathaway's vice chair and the Daily Journal board member and investor, spoke yesterday at the Daily Journal's annual meeting. It was streamed exclusively on CNBC.com. Munger is the publishing and technology company's former chairman, and he took shareholder questions for about two and a half hours yesterday, covered a broad range of topics, including things like artificial intelligence. I think artificial intelligence is very important, but is also a lot of crazy hype on the subject. Artificial intelligence is not going to cure cancer. It's not going to do everything we want done. And, and there's a lot of nonsense in it, too. So I, re- I regard it as a mixed blessing, all this artificial intelligence. Munger also said that his favorite stock ever is BYD. That's the Chinese EV maker that Berkshire Hathaway first invested in back in 2008. This was something that Charlie brought to Berkshire, and he said it's probably the best thing he's ever done for Berkshire Hathaway. Back in 2008, they invested $230 million. It's now worth about $8 billion, that stock, that that stake that they have in the company. Um, It's up more than 17-fold since 2008, and I think they got an even better deal than what average investors would have over that period of time. And in answer to a question, he compared BYD to Tesla. Tesla last year reduced its prices in China twice. BYD increased its prices. We're direct competitors. We're so much ahead of BYD. I mean, BYD is so much ahead of Tesla in China. It's like a, it's just, it's almost ridiculous. And if you look at BYD, which most of you have never heard of, if you count all the manufacturing space they have in China to make cars, it would, it would amount to a big percentage of all the land in Manhattan Island. When asked about Tesla CEO Elon Musk, Munger was complimentary. In fact, recently he compared it to a minor miracle, what he's managed to do with, um, with, with Tesla over the years, said that he is definitely a genius, at least on a lot of issues. But when you ask him about Twitter, Munger says social media is not really his thing. Well, you know, I don't use Twitter, so I'm not a good judge on that subject. And my policy on Elon Musk is that he's a very talented man, but also peculiar. And so I, I don't buy him and I don't sell him short. I just say, well, he's a very unusual person. Yeah, he said more than that. He called him a genius a couple times in the interview. Munger, by the way, who at 99 says he's done almost no exercise during his life other than when he was in the Army Air Corps and was forced to exercise was asked a number of different times about his age and his longevity. One shareholder asked about how he'd like to get out of bed on his 100th birthday, which is coming up in about mm, 10 and a half months. I step out of my bed these days and sit sit down in my wheelchair. So I am paying some price for old age, but I prefer it to being dead. 
And, and whenever I feel sad, maybe in a wheelchair, I think, well, you know, Roosevelt ran the whole damn country for 12 years in a wheelchair. So I'm just trying to make this wheelchair thing last as long as Roosevelt did. Well, there's no question about the fact that you lose some mental acuity as you get older. But some people get shrewder at adapting to their limitations, and they do pretty well. And so far, I, I've had plenty of decline, but I'm pretty shrewd about the way I handle it. And so far, the results have not been that bad in my old age. Now my sex life would be a different subject. The what? The sex life would be a different subject. Well, we can talk about anything then. So at, I'm just, I mean, I was immediately struck with, okay, I know how old I am. I know how old he is. I mean, you don't just get up at, in the morning when you're 100. Uh, I, I, and I'm just wondering, if I just were to extrapolate, you know, how bodily functions change as you get older. I, I mean, Based I'm, on I, your own experience. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I wonder where he, I mean, it, would I be at 30, 40 times a night by then, do you think? By, uh, or is, I guess that's specific to the Everybody individual. Everybody ages differently. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? He's getting up more than just to get up for the day, I would think. I guess it. I, well, I, I don't know. Based it, on, I don't know your experience. Right. I haven't been there. Yet, I'm not going to so. say it. I was going to say. I but, guess. It, I guess but, it depends. But I'm not going to say that. Yeah. But but look, I will say, Charlie took questions for two and a half hours. I think he was ready to. It's keep unbelievable. Going. And, 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 and no way, exercise no, either. No exercise. He had no idea what questions were coming. He. No, his mind anything is and sharp. everything yeah. that came out under the sun. I mean, everything from climate change to what he thinks. You know, yeah. and by the way, he admits when he has limitations on some yeah. of these things. He's like, I don't know exactly what the answer is going to be to that, but right. I, I think climate change may not be nearly as bad as a lot of people are running around saying at this point. You think? Yeah. He, <laughs> I mean, he, he spoke far and wide. You ask him, yeah. and he's funny when he's, when he he's talking through these things, too. No, I mean, everybody is different. And it's, it is, it's kind of a sad commentary because I don't know there's so many different kinds of dementia and Alzheimer's and everything, but you, it can be very, very debilitating in your 70s. And he's, so there's something different there. Yeah, uh, I'll whether have it's what genetically, he's having, whatever it is. Yeah, <laughs> at 99, because he's not even close to being, you know, it, it, people that you see that, oh, no, that have started he's a, losing. He's, I mean, you he's can. He's funny. He's, yeah. like, every time you talk to Charlie, Warren Buffett will say this, every time you talk to him, I think he's he a learns little... something and he laughs. But Charlie Munger is pretty sure that he's not wrong when it comes to cryptocurrency which he thinks should be banned. Now, he answered a question that came in from a shareholder, and this was a clever question, Joe. The, the shareholder said, back in, at USC many years ago, you gave a speech where you said you should never be able to kind of publish your opinion or put it out there if you can't argue the other side of that position more effectively than just about anybody out there. So the shareholder wanted to know, you've said that crypto is not something you'd ever touch make the other argument, make the other side of that argument. And here's what Charlie had to say to that. I don't think there are good arguments against my position. I think the people that oppose my position are idiots. And, and, and so I don't think there is a rational argument against my position. This is an incredible thing. Naturally, people like to run gambling casinos where other people lose. And the people who invented this crypto crapo, which is my name for it, and sometimes I call it crypto crapo and sometimes I call it crypto and it's just ridiculous that anybody would buy this stuff. And it isn't, you can think of hardly nothing on earth that has done more good to the human race than currency, national currencies. It's just unspeakable. It's, it's an absolute horror. And, and I'm ashamed of my country that so many people believe in this kind of crap and that the government allows it to exist. It is totally, absolutely crazy, stupid gambling with enormous house odds for the people on the other side. And they cheat in addition to cheating in the betting. And it's just crazy. 
I think what's been unveiled and what we've seen so far with FTX has him more fired up about yep. some of these issues, being offshore, being able to create tokens, um, take money from people as a result of that, and then the money disappears and the tokens are worth zero. I think that's really what got him fired up. I asked him what he thought about gambling in general, mm -hmm. uh, because there'd been so much gambling that had taken place at the um, Super Bowl over the weekend, and I thought that that would be something he'd kind of rail on because yeah. he's, he, he's talked about gambling at all levels. He said, well, I don't mind that nearly as much as, as crypto, and this is definitely the issue that has him fired up. If you want to catch the rest of Charlie Munger's comments, keep an eye on our Squawk Pod feed. More musings from Berkshire Hathaway's 99-year-old vice chair will live right here. So follow us wherever you're listening now so you don't miss a thing. Our inspo and TV broadcast Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 